We're going to be talking today um, about Palm Sunday and Palm Sunday being that the week uh, prior to Jesus um, dying on the cross and rising, he was going to enter into Jerusalem. So we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19 verses 28 through 44. Luke 19, 28 through 44. And read along with me. Luke 19, 28 through 44. And after he had said these things, he was going on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had approached Bethpage and Bethany near the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you there, and as you enter you will find a colt, tied on which no one has yet ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you untying it, you shall say, The Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as Jesus had just as he had told them, and they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? They said, The Lord has need of it. They brought it to Jesus, and they threw their coats on the colt and put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their coats on the road. And as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but, but now they have been hidden from you from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. And they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. And may God add the blessing to the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. How many of us have certain expectations of God? How many of us have expectations of what, of who he is, of what he'll do, or the way things be, will be accomplished? I know that I do. I know that I have certain preconceived ideas, preconceived notions, preconceived ways of God doing things, or the way he is, or the way things should be. And we all have that. Well, today we're going to look um, at this passage of Jesus approaching Jerusalem for the last time, where coming into Jerusalem, where he's going to be the last week of his life, and that he's going to um, come in as a king on a cult. And then Jesus is going to um, explain what will happen and what will, be the, what will transpire in the days ahead. And so we're going to look at that. We're going to look at three specific points. Number one, you will find a cult. Secondly, blessed is the king. And thirdly, he saw the city and wept. Now Jesus, it says here in verse 28, um, in this section, verses 28 through 35, it says, and after he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. So it was Jesus' plan and Jesus' purpose to go to Jerusalem. Um, he was going up there. He was heading towards Jerusalem. It was the week prior to Passover. And so Passover being the highest, holiest festival um, celebration holiday in the Jewish calendar and where they would uh, celebrate that. And of course, we know what Passover is. Passover is, is when um, the, the, uh, they were instructed to put blood over the doorposts of their homes in Egypt so that the angel of death would pass over them uh, and they would not take their firstborn son. So that's called the angel would pass over. So it's called Passover. 
And so this was a celebration of how God led them to victory that night in Egypt long ago so that they could go out and be free from Pharaoh. So that's the celebration that they were doing. So the Jesus was coming in and he was and, and so Jesus was about he was walking in, but he was walking in as any other person. But then things change. When he approached Bethpage and Bethany, which is their vill villages right outside Jerusalem, near the mount of near the mount that's called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples. Okay, so what he, we see here is that Jesus gives specific instructions. He gives specific details as to what um, he wants to see happen. Jesus already has in mind what his purpose and what his plan is. He already has, an, he already knows exactly what the Father's purpose is for him as he approaches Jerusalem. And he also knows that what it's, what the image that he is going to portray is the image, um, it's not just an image, but it's the actual reason why he came. And so he knows his purpose, he knows his reason. Other people think they know what Jesus' purpose and reason is for doing things, but Jesus ultimately knows. And so he says to go, he tells his disciples to go do this with the cult. You, you'll go into this village, you'll go there, you'll say to them, you'll say to them, we need, um, you'll find a cult tied there, which no one has ever sat, untie, bring it here. And then that someone will ask you, well, why are you untying that cult? Because the, it says here, because the Lord has need of it. Lord meaning the uppercase L, meaning Lord meaning God uppercase the Lord meaning master so we see here that the Lord has need of it the master the teacher and Jesus was known as the teacher he was known as a rabbi a teacher and so they the Lord has need of it the Messiah the promised one has need of it so and so we see here that um, Everything was exactly the way Jesus said it would be, wasn't it? The disciples went and they followed his instructions exactly, explicitly, the way he said to. And then they uh, found it exactly the way he said it was going to be. So, a couple points here. His disciples were being obedient to who? To Jesus, right? They were being obedient to his, his instructions. And when they were obedient, it was exactly the way he wanted it to be, correct? So, think about this. When Jesus gives us instructions, does, has Jesus ever given us instructions? Does Jesus ever speak to us? Does Jesus ever let us know what's happening? Does Jesus ever make us aware of what's going to transpire? How many of us have ever heard Jesus speak? I'm not necessarily saying an audible voice. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, has he ever instructed you through his word or through that still small voice in your heart or through others or through, a, a, or through others as others from the body have spoken to you? Or has he ever spoken to you through a minister or a pastor or a teacher? and has given you specific instructions that you know clearly that this was from him. I have, and I'm sure many of us have as well. And they're clear, explicit instructions, and that we know in our hearts that this is what God is saying. That, and as we follow those instructions, what happens? It's the way he said it would be, wasn't it? It was for me, as I know, as he gave me those instructions, but when we deviate, and this is the important part, but if we deviate from his instructions, it never turns out the way it's supposed to turn out. When we deviate and say, well, we start to question his instructions, we start to question what he says, we start to question this, or we question that, or we question this or this, and we start to manipulate things, and, we, and it never turns out the way God intended it to do but it always turns out the way he intended it to do 
when we follow his instructions clearly and we don't deviate and we don't go off the path. We stay on that straight and narrow. And that's important, folks. Never think that we have, never think that we know better than Jesus. Never think that we have got better ideas than Jesus because no one has better ideas than God. No one knows the future. No one knows the days. No one knows the plans but God, right? So disciples found it just the way it was, the way it was supposed to be. And they bring them to Jesus, and what do they start to do? They throw their coats on the colt and put it on Jesus. That's an interesting thing. Do you think the disciples knew what Jesus was trying to do? They, they, they knew, they had an idea of what he was trying to do because any king would come in who would proclaim himself as king, as a king, would come in on a, on a horse or on a, a, on a steed or on a, a colt coming in to Jerusalem. Jerusalem being the city, the capital, the place where David reigned, where the kings reigned, they reigned in Jerusalem. And it was a, it was a sign of victory. And so the disciples knew exactly what Jesus was intending to do as far as the, the, the picture that Jesus was trying to paint here, that he was coming in as a king, okay? So he was coming in as a king. And, and so they immediately, Jesus didn't instruct them to put, the, put, the, put their, um, to put their uh, coats on the colt, did they? They did not. They did that because they knew what Jesus was going to do. Right? They knew the picture that he was going to paint. They were going to put their coats on the colt so he could sit on and come in as a king. So their, their whole idea and their whole thought is, is that we're preparing our Lord, our master, our teacher, to come in as the king, the Messiah, their version of the Messiah, their idea of the Messiah the way they perceived him should be. So they're thinking that Jesus is going to come in as a Messiah, as the, the way they, they want. Now what, now this is really important. So they want Jesus to come in as a Messiah, as a conquering king. You know what uh, Peter, you know how Peter was always so zealous and so always so wanting to get things done and I'm going to take them down, the big burly fisherman, and he said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to take them down and I'm going to, you know, and he was looking to help overthrow the Roman oppression that was upon them. And so that was the mindset that people were having that Jesus was, they're preparing this cult for Jesus to ride on so that he can come in to Jerusalem to throw off the oppression of the Roman government, to throw off the power of the Roman government. And that's what the disciples were thinking. That's what the disciples had in their mind. Jesus is going to come in as this mighty, victorious warrior, and he's going to throw off the oppression of the Roman government, and he's going to set up his throne in Jerusalem, and he's going to be victorious. And we're going to be right by his side when that happens. But listen to this. It says, and this is something that we need to think of. And this is what the Lord, we need to be, make sure that we don't always read into what Jesus is trying to do. Read into in the wrong way. We need to make sure that we think that Jesus is doing one thing when he's actually doing another. They were thinking what? That Jesus was going to come in as this king who's going to set up his throne in Jerusalem. But his purpose, but they're thinking on the earthly realm. They're thinking on the earthly plane. Their thoughts are on this plane right here. And where were Jesus' thoughts? Where were Jesus' intentions? Where were Jesus' purposes? In the heavenly plane. Because his kingdom was going to be what? 
was going to be a heavenly kingdom, which is going to be far greater than just an earthly king setting up his throne in Jerusalem. And that's, and that, and that's the whole purpose behind this, is that Jesus' purpose and Jesus' plans are always so far greater than our plans, our purposes, our ideas. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah 55, and this is such a great verse, and the Lord was just showing me, showing me this as I was preparing. Look at verses 8 and 9. I'm not going to read all the way to the end right now, but I'm going to read all the way to the end um, uh, later on in the passage. But it says, verses 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isn't that a deep passage? We think, they were thinking, we're going to have a, an earthly realm here. And Jesus' purpose well, was, I'm going to have a heavenly kingdom. He's going to be the, what? The king of kings and what? The Lord of lords. Be careful of what your expectations are of Jesus and what he's doing. Because we think on this earthly plane. We think on this earthly realm. Rather than not limiting ourselves to what? To here and now. Because what God's purposes and God's plans are much greater than what we see here and what, what, what's happening here, here and now. And we don't ever limit God to what his purposes are. Right? Because we limit God. And, we're, and we, put in, we put things on God and we put him in a cage, we put him in a box and we, and we limit what he can do and what he wants to do. Remember, his ways are not our ways, nor are his thoughts our thoughts. As far as the heaven is above the earth, so are his ways above our ways, folks. Right? Don't ever limit God. God wanted to have, God, Jesus' intention was to have a heavenly kingdom that would rule not just in Jerusalem, but over all mankind. Not just over Jews, but over all the earth. For everyone. For Jews and all those throughout the earth. Right? So never limit, don't put expectations on, on what you think God is doing. You hear what he's doing. You hear what he says and say, okay, God, I don't maybe understand this, but God, I know that you can do all things and you do all things well. Are you, and help me to have my expectation of you that is beyond this earthly realm. For what is he able to do? He's able to do immeasurably more than all we even ask or even think. Not on this earthly plane, but even in the heavenly plane. What does he want to do? He wants to save mankind. He wants to save the, the sinner. He wants to save people. And he wants to do a supernatural work in our midst. But let's go on here. Our second point. Blessed is the king. Uh, we're going to be looking at 36 through 38. As he was going, he was, they were spreading their coats on the road. So here they are spreading their coats, just like they would do for a king just like they would do to prepare for the king to come. And they're expecting him to go and blessed is the king. And what are they doing? And they're saying, as soon as he was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. So they were praising God, saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So they're worshiping God because they're thinking that they should be worshiping God and praising God for the Messiah to come in to Jerusalem. But, again, the limitations, they're putting limitations on their thoughts because they're thinking they're worshiping God for what? For what their plans are. For what their purposes are. They're thinking Jesus is going to come in and he's going to throw, 
He's going to throw off the yoke of the, the, um, the oppression of the Romans, and we're going to be set free. And they're worshiping God and praising God. Yeah, we're all excited. We're great. Yeah, wow, this is wonderful. Praise God. Hallelujah. He's going to do exactly what we want him to do. Here's our leader. Here's our Messiah. Here's our promised one. Here's the one who's going to lift the all the oppression off of us. And they're worshiping him for what? For what their expectations are of him and what he's going to do. It's sad to say it's that when expectations don't always, when our expectations, when expectations of our expectations of others are, they don't live up to their, their expectation, those expectations, then we get really disappointed. And then the praises turn into heckling and uh, turning away and rejection and treason and all other horrible and cruel rejections of Jesus when he didn't fulfill what their expectations were of him. Right? So we see here, they were worshiping God. They wanted to see him, you know, be the victor, be the victor when he was going doing what we think he wanted him to do. How do we respond to him? Think about that. When Jesus is doing what we think he wanted him to do, what do we do? Say, Hallelujah, Jesus! Thank you, thank you, Jesus! Thank you, Jesus! Hallelujah! Great, wonderful, and we should. But if it's our expectation of what we think he should be doing and not his, sometimes those, that worship is sometimes a little misguided, isn't it? Because we're thinking we're getting what we want rather than God giving what he wants. Because it's not always about what we want. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. How many times have we heard that from our kids? Right? We want, we want, we want, we want. How many times have you said that to God? We want, we want, we want, we want, we want. Right? And sometimes what we want isn't always necessarily what God wants. But when we think we're getting what we want, we're worshiping God. But what happens when he doesn't give us what we want? Or when things don't go the way we expect them? Remember my illustration? When, we go, when things don't go the way we think they should go, where we don't expect them, then how do we worship God? How do we approach God? Do we see this? Have, how, many, how many of us have ever done this to God? I have. When we didn't get what we wanted, how many of us have ever cursed God in anger? because we didn't get what we wanted or wasn't our expectations weren't filled. Right? All of us have at some point or another, folks, an anger towards God because our expectations, our desires weren't fulfilled the way we thought they would be fulfilled. And so we get angry with God. Be careful that you understand, and this is, I'm going to get into this in my next point, because this is going to be really critical. Because we need to understand, you just don't worship God when you get what you want. You worship God. The Lord gives what? And the Lord takes away what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Right? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be what? The name of the Lord. Bless the Lord when you get what you desire and what the Lord wants to have for you in your life, and you bless the Lord when it doesn't go your way. Right? Worship Him at all times. Not just for the not just for the, the good things that we think that we should have, but all the time. No matter what. Because that ultimately tells you where your heart is. 
Is your heart worshiping and serving God just so you can get things? Or your heart is there because you love him and that you just want whatever he wants for you in your life? Right? Let's, go, let's look at our, our third and our final point here. And it says, and he saw the city and wept. Now this is a heavy duty passage here. This is a heavy duty, heavy, heavy, heavy passage. These scriptures. Verses 39 through 44. It's not a very pleasant, feel good, make you feel warm and fuzzy inside type of scripture passage, is it? Not really. There's a lot of churches out there, a lot of big churches out there, that won't ever preach on something like this. Won't ever tell you on something like this. Won't ever speak on something like this. Don't have the word sin in their, um, don't ever have the word sin, uh, they don't mention the word sin in their messages. Don't have the cross up behind them, a symbol of suffering and death. A lot of those churches out there don't have church, uh, words that tickle your ears, that feel good, have that feel-good, warm, fuzzy message, right? Oh, this feels good. It makes me feel good. Yay, hallelujah. It doesn't, that type of message doesn't build for church growth, does it? No, it doesn't. But the reality is you got to have both. Because you have to have the truth of what and the blessings of God, but also you have to have the truth and the reality of what God, there's sin in the world and the results of sin. And this is 39 through 44 is the result of sin. And this is the reason why Jesus came. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. What were they doing? They were... Here the people, the teachers, were trying to instruct Jesus on what to do. They were trying to tell him what to do because they didn't like what he was doing. They knew what he was doing. They knew that he was coming in as, he knew they were coming in as the Messiah. They knew what the people were doing. The people were laying the, the palm branches on the road and their coats on the road. As he was approaching, and they knew that the religious leaders knew that the people were doing that so the Messiah could come in. And so the, the religious leaders were telling Jesus, Stop telling him to do that. In other words, you're not the Messiah. Stop telling him to do that. What were the religious leaders' in intentions? They didn't want to admit what the people already knew, that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the promised one. Not, and they didn't want to admit that because what would happen once they found out that Jesus was the promised one? They could lose their power because they were, these religious leaders in those days were about power and about controlling power over the people. How many of us have seen that recently? power and controlling people. And that's a part of politics is so that you can control people and control them. And that's what and these religious leaders were trying to do. They wanted to be in power and they were trying to control the people. And by Jesus coming in, that was Jesus would usurp their power and their authority and the people would no longer respect them and the people would no longer have them in place. Right? So, but the other thing here is, is that, and it goes on a much deeper level at this point, is that they were questioning Jesus, or they were trying to school Jesus. They were trying to teach Jesus. That Jesus stopped them from doing this, stopped them from telling of what they're doing. It's interesting. Here's the person, an individual, trying to instruct God on what to do. 
How many of us have ever done that? We know better, don't we? Jesus, don't do this. Jesus, don't do that. You know, there's teachings out there that say, if you speak it, you demand it of God, it's going to happen. That doesn't work that way. You don't tell God what to do. God tells you what to do. God instructs you. He did, you don't instruct God. Who made you? Who made your mind? Who made your emotions? Who made everything about you? What did God say in Psalm 139? It says, For I knew you while you were yet in your mother's womb. I knew the days were ordained for you before there was yet even one. Go look it up. Psalm 139 talks all about that. So who were they to instruct Jesus? Who are we to instruct God and in what to do and what's right? And we think that we know better. Who is man that he should instruct God on what to do? Right? We're mere humans. We're here for a breath. We're here four score and so many years and we're here. 80 years and if that. And we're here and then we're gone. God's eternal. He has no beginning, no end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last, the beginning and the end. And there is no one else besides him, is there? So you cannot instruct you cannot instruct God on what's right and what's wrong. And thinking that you know and you're wiser than God. No one's wiser than God. No one knows better than God. Right? So never try and think that you can instruct God. Because Jesus because as he goes here and Jesus tells them the truth and tells them the reality it says but Jesus answered I tell you these stones if they become these stones will cry out so if they don't these stones will cry out literally worship nature will worship God the trees of the we see, I forget where it is, it's in Psalm somewhere. It says, but the trees of the fields, what? Clap their hands. Right? That's nature. Right? Psalm 19 talks about the heavens. Heavens meaning the stars. And it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. What do they do? They declare the glory of God. And the, and the firmament, I mean, in other words, in the heavens, declares the glory day after day, night after night, they speak. They speak forth truth. They speak forth God's revelation of himself. So if we don't worship him, if we don't call him for who he is, and we don't call him for being what? The king of what? As we looked at this last, it says, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The king, the promised one. If we don't worship him as the king, as the promised one, as our Messiah, then nature will. God is worthy of worship. God is worthy of all, and deserving of all that can be given him, of all praise and honor and glory and worship. So if we don't give it to him, then nature will. And that's what Jesus was saying. Who's worthy of worship? Is worship just on Sunday morning during a Sunday morning worship service? Is it? Is it just singing a couple of hymns and a couple praise and worship songs? Is that worship? Is that worship? Sometimes some of us think that way. We are workmanship of God. We are created of God to do what? To give what? Worship unto Him. That's what we were created to do, to have fellowship with him and to worship him with our whole lives. We're created for what, folks? Worship. We're created for worship of him. We're holy and living sacrifices, offering ourselves 
and worship unto who? Unto him. Living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable what? Act of what? Worship. In Romans, talks about that. Let's offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto him, which are reasonable act of worship. Our whole lives are worship, folks. Not just with our words, but the way we live and the way we carry ourselves and the way we do things and, and the, who we are as being obedient to him is an act of worship unto God. So let's live our lives that way. But we cannot be silent in our worship of God. You can't tell someone and you can't tell God what to do. You cannot tell God what to do. Because he can shut your mouth real quick. Right? Real quick. He can zip that lip really quick. When he approached Jerusalem, he saw the city and wept over it. It's a very sad day. when God weeps, right? It's very sad when God weeps, when God cries. We saw another passage where it says, Jesus, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And why does Jesus weep? Why was he weeping? Because he knew what was going to happen. He knew what the days were going to, what were going to transpire in the day, in the years, in the days to come. He knew, because he was God, and he knew all things, and he wasn't just limited to time. God's not limited to time. Time is a created thing by God. God's not, God's not finite. He's infinite, so he's beyond time. So. Jesus knew what was going to happen and he wept because he's, as he's approaching this city he knows what's going to happen and he predicts what's going to happen. And when he approached Jerusalem he saw the city and wept over it saying, if you had known this day even you the things which would make for peace but now they have been hidden from your eyes. The things that make for peace. What is Jesus' purpose. What's one of the things that Jesus wants us to have? Is what? Peace, right? That peace that what? Passes what? Understanding. So often, what's happening is that if you had known, it says, if you had known this day, even you, the things which make for peace. The thing is, is that God had always, what was Jesus' name? What's one of the names of Jesus? He's the prince of what? Peace, isn't he? And what does man do all the time? Man is always in the midst of what? War. There's always been war, folks. Always been war. Always, always, always. Throughout history, always. And even look right, right now over in Eastern Europe and over in, over in Russia. Look what's happening there. War all the time. What's God's desire? God's desire is for peace. Not just peace on this earth, but peace with who? With him. Peace with God. Not shaking our fists at God and saying no, which means being at what? Being at war with God, but being at peace with God and saying, okay, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. Whatever you desire, that's what I desire. Being at peace and saying, okay, God. Okay, God, I'm good with you. Whatever you want. Whatever you desire. But what happened was, what he said there, if you had known this day, they knew, but they chose not to know that. Their, their idea for peace 
was they wanted peace in Jerusalem. They wanted the oppression of the Roman government thrown off of them. And that was their version of peace. That's the way they could have peace. But they were going to do it through what? Through violence and through, through their own means and their own power and their own way. Rather than through God's power and through God's might and through God's way. And so therefore they couldn't see what God was trying to do all those years through all the prophets and through all the things that God was trying to speak to them. His whole purpose was so that they could have peace and they could have peace and the peace comes through a, re a restored relationship with him. And they could not see that. And so therefore they avoided the peace that God intended for them to have all along through their Messiah. They avoided it because they refused to listen. How many of us have refused to listen to God? And we've avoided his peace in our lives. In other words, we don't listen to God, and we do. We got a better plan, we got a better way of doing things, I'm going to do it. And God's desire is for us to have peace, and to be at peace here on this plane, and peace up there between us and him. And we avoided that because we didn't hear what his, we didn't listen to his instructions. We avoided his instructions. We did things our way. We know better, don't we? We're all wise, aren't we? No, we're not, folks. We're not. We're not as wise as we think we are. We're not doing what we think. We, we, and then, and therefore, what happens is we end up taking things into our own hands, making war, and we're avoiding the peace that God would have in our lives and in our world. And so therefore what has, and then what happens is the result. And listen to this. But since we didn't want it, it you know, then God's going to hide it from our eyes. Okay, since you didn't want it, you didn't choose it that way, well, I'm going to hide things from you so you can't see about what I'm going to do. For the days will come when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you in on every side. A.D. 70, Jerusalem, Roman, put in, in exactly the way Jesus said it would happen. They put, they put uh, besieging the, 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 these ramps against the walls of Jerusalem, and they raised Jerusalem, R-A-I-Z-E-D. Not raise it up, but they raise it to the ground. And where the, where the, the people in Jerusalem fled to? Masada which is a, a outside of Jerusalem. And others fled to other parts of the world. And that's how the Jews got dispersed, folks. That's what happened. All stemming from this. All stemming from here. And Masada was a horrible, horrible situation because most of the people ended up committing suicide according to history. Really a shame. Didn't have to be that way. Never has to be that way. Never, 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 never has to be that way. But we make it that way when we choose our decisions and we make our choices between our plan and our purpose and what we expect of God and God's plan and God's purpose and God's way of doing things. We can have peace or we can have what? Difficulty and destruction in our lives. What's it going to be? What's it going to be, folks? And that's the reality. God wants peace for us. Have you ever how you ever been in a situation where you've felt like you're at peace? Isn't that a nice, calm feeling? Isn't that a nice place to be at? You think, ah. Oh, you know how good that is for your body? When you're always anxious and you're always wanting things, you're always going, you know how, you know what toll that takes on your body? You know what anxiety does to your body? You know what worry does to your body? It causes ulcers and causes other health issues. And it, and it shortens your life, folks. But peace prolongs your life, doesn't it? When your body's at peace, your organs aren't overworking. Your organs and your things are not overworking and they're not going a million miles an hour. 
when you're always anxious because you're doing what you you're worrying about your plans and you're worrying about your plans and your purposes rather than trusting God because when you trust God when you have that what peace that passes what understanding look at Philippians chapter 4 right Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your forbearing spirit be known to all. The Lord is near. Be anxious for what? For nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, present your request to God. And what? And the what? And the what? The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will do what? Will guard your hearts and your minds in, in Christ Jesus. Philippians chapter 4, folks. It will guard your heart. Trust Jesus with his plans. Do what he says to do. Give your expectations of him and his plans and who he is back to him. So that his peace can be in your life. And not the worry, not the anxiety, not the anxiousness. Anxious is not a word, but the anxiety in our lives. You know, be careful, folks. Be careful. Because he wants to give peace in our souls, folks. Peace in our souls. Mental peace. A lot of people have been in angst in, 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 a lot, in the last several years because of everything that's been going on. Well, you can be one that's at peace. Peace with him. Because that's what Jesus came to do. To reconcile us back to God. And, 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 to, and, and then to be at peace with, with our fellow man, but also to be at peace with him. Because... Um, and it came out exactly the way it said it would. Folks, it came out exactly the way it said it would. And if you look at the end of verse 44, and not one stone upon another, and listen to the reason why. Because you did not, at the last part of verse 44, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. In other words, they didn't recognize when God was here, when God was in their midst, and they didn't recognize it. And as a result, they suffered the consequences of not recognizing God and, and his opportunity to give them what they were truly created for, to be at peace with God and have a relationship with God. They didn't recognize it. Recognize what God has done. Recognize what he wants to do. Recognize what his plan is and his purpose is. Take your expectations off of God and what he's doing. And say, God, I don't understand this, but I'm going to trust you. You do what you want to do. Uh, I'm just going to follow your lead. I give my expectation. I give my plans. I give my purposes. I give all that I have back to you. And I surrender it to you. And then what happens? Then you're at peace. But let me read this rest of the scripture in verse uh, in Psalm 55. Go back with me to Psalm 55 um, in verses 11 through the end of the chapter. So my word, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Interesting, isn't it? For it will go forth, it will go out with joy and be led forth with what? Peace. His word always produces what? Peace, doesn't it? Joy and peace. The mountains and the hills, there you go. Nature worshiping God will be led forth. The mountains and the hills will break forth in shouts of joy before you. Isn't that interesting? And all the trees of the field will do what? <laughs> Clap their hands. Can you imagine tree branches clapping one other tree branches? And instead of the thorn bush and the cypress will come up, instead of the, the nettle and the myrtle will come up, it will be a memorial. Instead of the thorn bush, come, cypress will come up, cypress trees, of course. Instead of the nettle, which was a, like a weed, uh, the myrtle will come up, and uh, another tree. And it says, and it will be and a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign that will not be cut off. So when you follow Jesus, what's going to happen? Instead, you, instead of having heartache and blessings, what's going to happen? You're going to have blessings. You're going to, instead of having heartaches and difficulties because we've done things our own way, instead of not having peace, we're going to have joy. We're going to have peace. 
and we're going to have blessings. We're going to have the cypress tree and the, and the myrtle tree instead of weeds. I like to garden, and I see weeds all the time, but I like to see flowers. I would rather have flowers in my garden than nettles and, and all kinds of weeds and stuff. They're a pain in the neck. And I'm sure we do in our own lives. We'd rather have the cypress and the nettle rather than all the weeds, right, folks? And the, and the thorns and the thistles that choke things. And it will be in a memorial to the Lord, an everlasting sign which will be not cut off. In other words, it won't ever end, folks. Ultimately, when we go to be with him. It will be a memorial remembrance of the blessings and the wonderful things that God has done. God wants to bless us. God wants, but we have to be, not that we're not going to be immune from difficulties and trials in life. That's a part of life. And God allows them in our lives. But God wants to bring those blessings in our life. And he wants to restore that relationship in our life so that we can have what? Peace with him. Peace in our soul. And worship him for who he is. But we have to follow his plan, his purpose. We have to have his expectations and his desires in our heart. Allow him to be the Lord and the master, not just on this earth, but what, which will not be cut off and everlasting. In other words, let, our, let the blessings go not just here on earth, but throughout all eternity with him. Right, folks? And it's not just about us getting the blessing, but who else gets to be blessed? Others around us get to be blessed. And it's a residual overflowing effect that only affects us, but affects those around us, folks. Worship the true king. Worship the true Messiah. And do what he tells us to do. And follow his plan and see what God will do in our lives. Amen, folks?